Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand, with half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. Wow, I I will have to say, there is a lot to unbuckle. Unbuckle and unbox, just like a bad weekend of moving. This was probably, I will have to say, before we get into the review, this was probably one of my favorite episodes of this season so far just keeps getting better week in and week out i know there's i mean a small minority of people out there that really don't like picard season three not very happy with it and i mean i understand you do that to get better like downloads and boost your clicks because you know it's a controversial topic because people love it i mean as a t i mean i just feel like any tng fan is adoring this season um i mean especially with what dropped you know at the end of episode six today as we cover um the bounty i just it it embottles the mind <laughs> oh mind boggling not mind bottling thanks luna i mean i just feel like terry Milatis. i mean i think he's our answer like dave filoni is the answer to star wars i think I mean, possibly, I mean, I want him at the helm of the next movies and TV shows and whatever. I just think he has such a great care for the legacy characters and the themes of Star Trek. But he's able to weave it into overall plot progression and something that relatable to today. So I I just am, you know, really um, impressed so far with this season And that doesn't make me a shill. No one's paying me to say that. I'm over the moon with it. And I think a lot of you are too from what I've read and uh, some of the comments and interactions with with people on Twitter or or Instagram. Again, on our social media, we love to hear from you guys. So please reach out and talk to us. It's it's always fun. I know as as we, before we get into the review, I saw an article and I thought I'd share it because it is very relevant to what we're talking about today. And that I think this is the end of the ride for a lot of the original, you know, next generation cast. Uh, so LeVar Burton and Brent Spiner were, I think it was comicbook.com. Was that right, Luna? Is that the source? Comicbook.com. Okay. And they go into this saying like, you know, Spiner says, I hope it lands well with the fans and you know, what happens happens in the future. And it's, we're very just grateful to be here, you know, and while LeVar Burton was very much more Zen-like, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, he's like, I don't want to get greedy. Uh, I thought this would never happen. I thought we would never be back and we're here and look at us now. The impossible has happened. So I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is, but big, butt, and I like big butts. LeVar Burton said, nobody wants to be Tom Brady. So market Trek fans that today is the day that we see Trek actors absolutely dissing quote unquote retired NFL superstars. So what an age to be alive. I never thought I would see it that we would have Commodore LaForge 
roasting Tom Brady. Either way, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Burton said. You know, let's just enjoy season three for what it is. And if there's more, that's great. And if not, that's fine. But let's just let's enjoy for what we have, you know. Anyway, Luna, it's enough of the ramblings and, and random uh, accounts that this may be the end for the TNG crew. But in honor of uh, putting the band back together, as per se, and that's what I felt like this episode was all about, here's some sweet, sweet blues, brothers. All right, Luna, let's roll. In the Bounty, the latest installment of Star Trek Picard, we see some of these iconic characters reunite, and like I said before, it's the standout episode of the season. Now what we do on the review here is, um, and those for you new to the podcast, welcome. We have Luna, my intern here, uh, helping with research and (laughs) kind of name fact-checking me as I go along. Um, we kind of do an overview, general thoughts, and then I dissect certain themes that uh, I saw present, what I liked about that, what I didn't like about that, and then going into a little bit more of the theories, and boy, we got some theories today. Put on your tinfoil hats, because we're going deep diving into what we saw at the Daystrom Institute, and moving on, kind of Easter eggs, you know, the fun little things we saw, blink and you miss it kind of nod. So, and we even have one of those this week too. So I was really happy to see a particular starship come back. And it may not be one that you think. However, we can get into the overview as I kind of already started it. Um, I, I feel like most of the hour really catered to, you know, those like diehard Trek fans, which I include, and I'm sure you listening include yourself. Um, I mean, it has very elements to it that may seem like kind of superfluous if you're not a big Trekkie, but it's kind of tough like to fault the show and tough to like fault Terry Milatis for indulging in this nostalgia when it's executed with such enthusiasm and emotion. Again, we see an emotionally powerful episode and it just delivers on all front. Furthermore, and this is what I think kind of sets season three apart, you see the classic elements of the show blend seamlessly into the overarching narrative of the season, further enhancing, you know, the impact of the episode. So we have, in layman's terms, so we have basically the nostalgia blending perfectly into the plot and furthering the plot of the show. And we'll get into some examples of that. But to me, the opening sequence of Star Trek, you know, showing those iconic starships from, I mean, everything from Kirk's Enterprise to Seven's USS Voyager, her former vessel. I mean, it was just awesome. And I mean, can we talk about that that Seven scene with Jack? I mean, everything, the, the themes behind it, that we're all searching for a connection And she was like, that was my home. I mean, that was all right in the feels. And I mean, it's kind of sad because it just seems to me she's giving the vibe, you know, they didn't remain super close or even in relative contact after Voyager returned. And I mean, that's okay. But I mean, Voyager was as, I mean, it was going to be a generational ship. It was going to take 70, 80 years to get home 
from the Delta Quadrant and that they were the family. They were it, you know? So all the feels in that scene, I mean, just one of those whoop and holler moments. Definitely loved it. Anyway, I just feel like even the casual fans, you know, the maybe not the diehard Trekkies, I mean, we'll appreciate the numerous nods that we got in this episode. Even, you know, the genuine uh, callback to the Farpoint jungle scene with Data and, and Riker. And boy, we're going to get into that too. However, I will say, even though we have this nostalgia, the bounty definitely integrates these moments into the narrative and endues them with emotional significance. Like, for example... While the, we see the inclusion of the hologram Moriarty, and we see, like I just mentioned a couple of seconds ago, the, the clip from Encounter at Farpoint, I mean, they're awesome callbacks to the original, but they also serve as essential markers indicating that, hey, do you know what data, the data, quote unquote, discovered at Daystrom Institute by Worf and Riker and Rafi actually has ties to the OG data from the next generation that he knew. And and again, beautiful example that like we see the crow, we see Moriarty and we realize, oh no, Data's communicating and he's using these pieces of nostalgia to us to show that and move the plot along. We discover who he is. So it's again, a beautiful way of just combining all the ingredients and we get this nerdy cake out of it. And if you think that's easy to do, just go back and watch the first two seasons of Picard <laughs> because those are an absolute poop show. Poop show? <laughs> anyway, uh, because, I mean, it's just included so much, like, unwarranted aspects of the franchise. I mean, delving into Picard's unexplored childhood trauma, I'm not going to go into spoilers for season two because I'm maybe not everyone's watched it, but... Season three is a prime, prime example of how thoughtful fan service can be, not only gratifying, but also meaningful. So take notes, Star Wars, take notes, any other Marvel major nerd fandom, because this is how you do it. So not only do you know we see these beloved characters reunite, we see Data and we get these amazing reunions. But it also kind of examines the characters' evolutions over the past 20 or 30 years. That again, the theme of that they're not the same. And you know what? They shouldn't be. And we're going to get into that in, in a couple minutes. But again, it's this theme that, you know, these people have changed. They're not the same. And even we see Picard recognizing that now. And it, it's fun kind of seeing them feel each other out and see how the relationships have changed and who the people are now and kind of putting out feelers. And I just, I love it. I mean, you have everything from Worf's uh, effort to, to embrace pacifism all, all the way to Jordy LaForge over, overprotective helicopter parenting style. You know, it's, I mean, it's a fresh perspective on these characters' personalities and seeing a side of them that we definitely didn't get to see you know, in the show and the movies. Again, this is one of the best episodes of the season for me. And I mean, again, a TED talk on how to blend nostalgia fan service, you know, that's actually useful and moves the plot along. And that's very difficult to do, incredibly difficult. So we should not take it for granted or take it for granted because it's rock hard. Who's writing these jokes? 
anyway, um, let's get into, again, some of the things that I really enjoyed of this episode. And the first things right off the bat is the Daystrom raid. To me, seeing the Geordi and Data reunion, plus bringing Data back, I mean, I was just so freaking happy. I mean, it was like, when he was like, Jordy, and he was like, Data, ah! Like, it was great. Like, I, I just nerded out, and it was awesome, because I was not expecting this. I mean, Data has died twice, and the fact that we didn't know who was going to come out or what was going to come out when they, quote-unquote, turned him on, and it turns out to be Data himself. Like, I always thought they were going to bring lore back, you know, in the kind of the promo material. He looked kind of lore I just, that's what I thought. I was like, they're going to bring lore back or it's going to be some like flashback sequence, you know, and, but I don't know. I was really impressed with how they brought him back. Um, it, to me, it makes logical sense. You know, you have the most sophisticated AI in Starfleet sitting on the shelf, not doing anything, growing old. Nah, like I think the fact that they incorporated him and utilized him, to Starfleet's betterment, that's that can be debated, but let me know what you think. Like, do you like how they brought data back or quote unquote this new data back? You know, he's um hopefully Jordy can fix the personality boundaries and routines and all that so we can have data just be the master of his domain and not have this multiple personality. And to me, it's kind of leads into the whole thing of how long will this data appearance last, per se? You know, maybe it's gonna be a quick fix and he's going to be here and there's no issue or is it going to be like this constant struggle with like lore popping up or B4 popping up or, and then data's back, you know, it's, I don't know how they can function for that in that state forever. I'm just saying we don't know how long it's going to last. So enjoy it while we can. I mean, and again, blending in the nostalgia with the purpose driven of the plot we see that. So we see Data is the one that tells us, hey, this is what the Changeling stole. They stole John Luke's physical remains. We're left with it. So it's not only a, oh, sweet reunion between like Jordy and Data and Data and everybody else. It's, oh, he actually severely moves the plot along. So again, awesome. And I don't know if you have, but if you want to, if you go back and listen to our first episode, we pointed out an Easter egg that might have totally called this. Um, So in the closing credits of Picard, it's still there in episode six, there are some musical notes that show up, you know, and someone more intelligent and more musically literate than I uh, figured out, you know what, these could be something. Now, it could be one of two things. It could be random nonsense, or it's the musical notes of Pop Goes the Weasel, which we all know is a callback to, you know, far point and how data couldn't whistle (laughs) and i mean there's some other emotional things um like Riker using it to um kind of grieve data after grieve after data died the second time so it's a it's an amazing callback but if you knew and my brilliant listeners probably already picked that up was like oh pop goes weasel that's data so that they've already been putting little secrets and easter eggs into the credits which answers a huge question for all of the podcasters and Trekkies out there. It was like, yes, they're, they are laying stuff out for us if we can find it. So that's encouraging. And I mean, we're always on the cutting edge here at OPP and only the best for my brilliant audience and loyal audience such as yourself. So moving on to 
another theme, and we mentioned it earlier a little bit, a theme that, you know, everybody changes. They shouldn't be the same people after 20, 30 years. You know, they, they go through so much. They should be ever evolving and developing as people. Uh, I mean, I, I hope they are. <laughs> I just hope they are. And to me, there's a few scenes where we see this on full display, probably never before, probably never on the nose before, like what we see with Riker and Worf. Um, first off, I have to say I love having Worf's humor back on the show. I mean, I mean the, the sour meat comment and the fact that um, he's going into battle with lovers and that usually is bad. Like, I mean, it's peak Michael Dorn. And again, I have to say this on every episode. I mean, he's just melted back into the character seamlessly. So kudos to Michael Dorn. He has uh, not missed a beat. And I mean, even as we see before and even during the, the Daystum raid, Riker's pretty much like goading Worf into like comeback, a little back and forth. And Riker even says to him, he's like, what changes about you? We used to kind of have this like little repertoire. Like we used to go back and forth. Why don't you do it anymore? And it's, um, it's super on the nose, but I, I think it's, it's a good standout thing to be like, and a fun line to be like, okay, if you didn't know, Worf has changed. And even the whole like Worf's pacifism comment, the major battles, the one within is amazing because Riker immediately is like, oh, okay, we're all going to die. Like, I mean, it's, it's that great back and forth a little bit that we, um, kind of had on TNG, which was fun to see. And another thing, like, you just never know, like, I've heard some people say, is this whole Worf's pacifism thing, is it because Klingon's age? And I don't know, like, looking at, like, Core on DS9 specifically, like, I don't really find that reaction normal. I feel like all Klingons are pretty much, even Martok, you know, he was very gung-ho in his older age. So I don't, I don't see, like, Klingons eventually settle down and losing that fire, which is probably Riker was so confused because, as you guys remember, he's the most seasoned TNG crew with, like, you know, Klingon culture and customs. So maybe he was genuinely wasn't expecting this kind of reaction to this pacifism wharf, you know, whatever. Also, another thing we definitely saw is this this whole persona of Geordi has now changed and it's completely different than when we left him. Like, for example, he's a father of two. He's kind of a helicopter parent. Maybe not, but that's the vibe I got. And for you, those of you who don't know, and real Linda out there, that's just like a parent who hovers like a helicopter over all of their children's life activity, etc. Nobody wants to get helicoptered at all. However, there, I mean, the largest change for me that I've seen him is the confidence. I mean, even telling a Picard no, and you need to get out of here. Jordy has grown into, you know, some confident, sure of himself uh, person. And I mean, it's very different from, you know, the holodeck romancer we sometimes saw on TNG who couldn't land a date. So he's definitely evolved some. And speaking of evolving some, we see a beautiful theme of fatherhood again in this show. And let's stick with the LaForges here. Um, I think it's just probably the most on-the-nose fatherhood episode we've seen probably since episode two um, with the introduction of LaForge and his two daughters. I mean, there's a couple lines that Jordy delivers about how, you know, he would risk his life in an instant for Picard, but he wouldn't want any of his kids to do that. You know, that he grew up putting his life in danger, but then now that he has children, he wouldn't want any of his kids to have that attitude. 
and that he also mentions how he loves his children more than his own life. And I mean, I couldn't agree with that more as a father. Like it definitely changes you. And I mean, any type of parental relationship does. And there's a balance, you know, of hovering and support and uh, you want your kids to succeed, but you also need them to fail. So it's kind of this dance that we do. And the forge, you can definitely tell is dancing that line with his girls. And it's really nice to see um, to me, just another example of fatherhood, a good example of fatherhood in media, because, you know, sometimes we don't get too much of that. So I, I was really happy to see that, to be honest. But I will say I love kind of the peak inside that we see between Sydney and Jordy. And I mean, Sydney calling her dad out when pressed, you know, that Jordy's like, these aren't your family. And then she's like, these people are my family. And you taught me that. Sydney here is using her father's personal history, the life lessons like he's taught. And I mean, it's the classic trope that Jordy is trying to pass off of is like, do as I say, not as I do, which is the worst piece of parental advice out there. But I, I do like how we see him reconcile at the end. And I mean, there's some tender moments about how like, you know, uh, Sydney would crash those speeders. So he would spend more time with her. And LaForge says, you know, I'm proud of you and disappointed you know, disappointed in my in myself because my my younger self would have done what you did, and I'm very that he was very proud of her. So I thought that was great. And you know, it's the old adage, man. You got to let your kids do what they want, and that we just have to support him and let him go, and um, just do whatever makes him happy, man. You know. On the other side of the coin, speaking of fatherhood and stuff, we we finally see some amazing scenes between John Luke and Jack Crusher. And I have to say this segment and these scenes definitely messed me up for a little bit because we see Jack finally start to realize that, hey, maybe my dad isn't a dick. <laughs> and he's got some really great things about him and some great qualities, you know, and a lot of people respect him. And especially, you know, the scene where they're like sitting at the table and we see Jack finally like reciprocate back to Picard, you know, for the first time this season that was, he was like, do you know what you've giving me a lot of bad things, but you know, you gave me a lot of good things too. And that was very well done. And it's very hard to make those scenes not be forced or like out of place, but they were wonderfully done, I have to say. And um, this episode, you know, shows that, yeah, I mean, you can pass on bad or terrible things, like even physical things like the, is it Irromantic syndrome, Luna? Irromantic syndrome. But, I mean, there's amazing qualities that we can pass out on well. And to kind of, again, Star, Star Trek, Star, sci-fi is always best when it can kind of relate to the real world here. And, I mean, I don't know what your relationships are with your fathers out there, but, I mean, they can definitely be complex and they can be full of landmines and difficult. I mean, a lot of times there can be mistakes on both sides. But to me, what I've learned is we just have to have the humility and the humbleness, you know, to admit our own. And I feel like when there's honesty and true admittance of, you know, those prior hurts and pains, just like we saw between Jack and Picard, you can finally travel down that path to resolution and reconciliation. All I'm saying is that even if you don't agree with, you know, the pain or the mistakes that the other party is saying, it's still important to validate, you know, recognize those other person's feelings. Or you can have a narcissistic parent like me and it's never going to happen that's completely impossible <laughs> is that is that too real luna is that is that that may be too real too real anyway um 
it's okay. It's all big one. We're all one big family at OPP. We, we share stuff. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but speaking of generations and fatherhood, you see that transition, Luna? That's the best transition in podcast history. Can't make it up. <laughs> um, so this theory, kind of moving into the theory and Easter eggs, I'm, I'm a little excited for this theory. And if you if you weren't watching closely, you might have missed it. So, so, you know, already in the show, we've seen a lot of these great legacy characters come back. We got Jordy LaForge. We have we have Worf. We have Riker and Troy coming back. But the most recent episode definitely hints at a potential connection to the movie Generations, Star Trek Generations, indicating, do you know what? The show might be digging up some, lack of a better word, digging up uh, some plot developments uh, with the one and only James Tiberius Kirk. So just a refresher on Generations. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I'm, maybe for you out there it has been. Um, so Captain Kirk and Picard, you know, teamed up, but Kirk sustained a fatal injury and ultimately perished, and they had a bury on Viridian 3, and that was it. You know, his body just was on Viridian 3, and that was left, and it's kind of been up to mystery since then. However, really quick, as they're going through the Daysimmer Institute, we see that Kirk's remains were held in a vault at the station. And then even adding more intrigue to this, we see a Genesis device. You know, the whole, we brought Spock back from the dead device is pretty right next to it. So the possibilities that, you know, the episode, the bounty introduced here is that we, we, we might get Kirk. We might get William Shatner uh, coming back. And that's a crazy idea to think about. And I don't know if my little nerd brain can take it. I mean, it, to me, like, I've heard people say this. It sounds like maybe he's coughing or it's like a sick bay or something that he's somewhat alive. And I just don't know. Because to me, it's kind of like whenever you get a Genesis device and a captain of the Enterprise, you know, usually those those two elements mean that we're going to get a revived age captain kirk somehow and they're gonna write in a in a way why kirk is aged for whatnot but i mean if you think about it, it's kind of sad right luna i mean it's a sad epilogue to the character's journey because that means his body was like dug up off reading three and then like stored in this institute i mean maybe they dig him up revive him they have one last big blaze of glory and they can give Kirk a proper death. Maybe P- P- like Picard in season three, they're trying to right a wrong, not let a bridge take him out type of thing and off generations. I don't know. But we'll see. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just a tip of the cap, nothing more. But that's why we do what we do. Look what happened with the little music notes and the end credits. I said, this could be data coming back somehow, some way. Pop goes a weasel. And guess what? Data's back. So, again, always on the cutting edge. Always on the tip of the spear when it comes to Picard theories here on OPP. So, again, thank you for listening. However, and going into our second theory, what is so darn important about John Luke's remains to the Changelings? Now, as we all know, like if the Changelings wanted 
to just impersonate Picard, they would just do it. It's not hard. They could just instantly become him. And that would be it. So it has to be deeper than that. To me, that's the big question. And I mean, they stole a portal weapon and had a terrorist attack as a diversion. So why would it be that important to steal that they don't want anybody to think about? So there's been a few, you know, key scenes this season that have reminded us, you know, that John Luke's brain is kind of both unique because it has its original, you know, organic form. And after he was transformed into the Borg drone, Lucutus a Borg, and he even still used the pronoun I, could Picard's Borg connection still come play into this? That's the only physical thing that's very unique about Picard, um, besides his fake heart that Anaskin stabbed him through, <laughs> is that his brain has both, you know, was able to be a part of the drone collective, but at the same time, still have an eye and Locutus aboard, the only one that was ever named drone. I think maybe the changelings are wanting to evolve, you know, wanting to constantly progress and get better and just get more, I don't know, perfect in a Borg way. I think it would be a very nice kind of full circle because seasons one and season two, you definitely have like the shadow of the Borg overhang. So I think it would be nice to maybe see the the changelings plan that maybe the changelings want to um, take the actual body and the DNA of Picard and use it as like a key to, you know, unlock the secrets of the Borg and, and have that kind of one mindset across the universe. So who knows? I think it's, I think it's very interesting and exciting to see them come back in that way to see the Borg be used in that way. Almost a ultimate baddie, the changelings and the Borg. That's like the recipe from hell in Star Trek villains. Maybe just throw Khan in there just for all poops and giggles, but yes, poops and giggles. Anyway, sorry, Luna always talks into my ear when I say poop. Um, (laughs) I will say, let me know what you think about these two big theories, what you think about Kirk possibly coming back, what you think about the Borg somehow coming back and and the changelings using his body as a key to unlock the secrets of the Borg. I don't know. It could be cool. All I know is this key is going to be a lot cooler than Seasons 2 key, if you know what I'm saying. And that's a pun because it's an actual physical key in season two. Anyway, moving on to this really neat, I'm only going to do one Easter egg, but because it was a really cool Easter egg and is one of those like quick blink and you miss it. So as we're going and seeing this like fleet museum with all the beautiful ships, you know, of the past, and it was an Easter egg and nerd's dream because you have Kirk's Enterprise, you have the Defiance, you have the um, Voyager and, and you have a little bit of a big easter egg yes the nx01 the original enterprise from the show labeled enterprise (laughs) commanded by jonathan archer and his amazing dog portos you can see the nx01 very quickly now if you freeze frame it really quick you'll notice that the engineering section is a bat is a little bit off from what we saw you know all the way back in 2003 2004 And there's a story why, because they originally planned in season four, season five um, to kind of do a retrofit to the Enterprise. 
and make it, you know, look more like the traditional 1701 Kirk's Enterprise, you know, we're all familiar with. I thought that was really cool. They even mentioned it in a 2011 book on the Starship. The designer of all the Starships even mentioned that, like, this is what it would have looked like. So we see that in the end game. And I, I think that's cool. Like, you know, it, it's they're definitely showing love to a lot of these um, not so popular shows, but have kind of reached cult status and in, in enterprise. So I'm happy to see the uh, the Archer crew get some love. But that has been this week's review on Picard episode, The Bounty. And my goodness, amazing hats off. I have to give it, I don't know, nine out of 10 just to be good. Yeah. Yeah, Luna, not 10 out of 10. That's crazy. That'd be like we're getting paid to do this. <laughs> but definitely 9 out of 10. All right, Luna, bring us home. Oh, boy. That was so... I mean, I've actually went back and rewatched The Bounty again just because it was just good. Like, it was this good track. You know what I mean? Anyway, if you agree, disagree, please let me know. I love to hear from you guys, interact with the fans. It's one of my favorite things of the podcast. And you can reach us out on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Ron it all. And if you're looking for a little bit more spice of life, feel free to wander over to www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. That website, again, is www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com, and the link is in the episode description. And I, he just did an awesome review on The Mandalorian, um, so please check that out. Uh, I just am very impressed so far with The Mandalorian. It's a little bit directionless, but uh, Jason always has the great humor and wit to match, so please check out his stuff. And... Remember, kings and queens, keep those crowns on straight because your mental health is important and we all need to make sure that is at the foremost. I don't know why I'm talking like that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Always remember, second start of the right, straight on till morning.